Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Now also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL underscore. That is, again, No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Don't forget to put the at sign before it or else it won't show up. Again, not too big right now. I'm hoping that the followers grow eventually, but you know, it is what it is. I feel like it's a very good way to help grow this podcast right here because this is really the main thing I put all the effort into. Uh, and the TikTok and the Instagram and also the Twitter are really just outlets for me to attempt to grow this right here. This is the main thing for me. Now, this week wasn't quite as groundbreaking, you know, breaking news all over the place. Every other day, there's a huge story. No, that that wasn't this week. It was a little bit more common. Thank God, because the NFL has to sleep eventually. Now, still, there was some big news, and I'm going to talk about it. But, you know, it was a slower week, which is good. You know, the draft is coming up. I, I finally, it feels like it's been so long since I had an opportunity to talk about the draft on this podcast because there's just been so many stories about free agency, trades. There's just been so much I haven't had opportunities to actually talk about the draft. So I'm happy and I'm going to do a very big draft segment all the way at the end, the last segment of this. I'm going to rank all the quarter or my top five quarterback prospects out of the seven that I looked at. We'll get to that later. But for now, I want to start by talking about the huge, the huge rule change that everyone is talking about. A lot of people have been asking for it since, you know, one game that lives in infamy because it was decided by a rule that, in my opinion, was pretty stupid. And a lot of other people agree with that. Of course, I'm talking about the overtime rule change. Listen. That game between the Bills and Chiefs, that was one of the best games of all time. It really had potential to be that, and I still would argue it is one of them. And it sucks that it was overshadowed by just the fact that it was decided by a coin flip. It was overshadowed by complaints of the unfair rules, and you have to admit they are unfair. Whether or not you think, oh, the defense should have made a stand, that's besides the point. The point is that one team had an advantage over the other. That shouldn't happen. Or an advantage based off luck. That shouldn't happen. That's just not fair. It wasn't an advantage that was earned. It was an advantage that just came from a 50-50. It was literally just luck. Something out of the team's control decided the game for them. And again, the Bills could have stopped it. They could have made a stop on defense, yeah. But the thing is, the Chiefs had an opportunity that the Bills didn't. Again, the Bills had an opportunity to end the Chiefs' opportunity, obviously. But that's not my point. My point is that the Chiefs had an advantage that they didn't earn. They just lucked out and got conveniently. And I think that that's safe ground everyone agrees on. Whether or not you think that the rules should have stayed the same, like that's the point. That's the argument against the older rules. 
in an attempt to prevent a game being decided by a coin flip, the NFL changed the rules. Now, instead of it being winner of the coin toss can choose whether or not they get the ball, no idea why you wouldn't choose to get the ball. And whoever gets the ball, if they score a touchdown, they win. And if they don't, then the other team gets an opportunity to score. It's basically whoever scores first. Whoever scores a touchdown first wins. Those were basically the rules, for those of you that didn't know. Now the rules are, okay, whoever gets the ball first, they could score. And then the other team has an opportunity to match that score. And if they either, if they do better, they win, right? If the team... That goes after the other team. So say the first team wins the coin toss, choose to get the ball, they kick three. Then the other team can go if they score a touchdown, that's a win. That's normally how it is. But now, here's the difference. Now, if the team who wins the coin toss scores a touchdown and then kicks an extra point, the game's not over. Or they go for two, the game's not over. Right? So if I'm the team that wins, I score a touchdown, I get the extra point. Now the other team... They could march down the field, score a touchdown, and they could either go for two to decide to try and win the game or kick an extra point, and then the other team has an opportunity again. But here's the thing that I kind of understand the argument for, but there's not really a way to prevent this. After that team scores and, you know, ties it back up, if the team that originally got the ball marches down the field and scores a touchdown, the game's over. Now, again, there is it's very difficult for the NFL to try and find a way to make this balance, make this fair. But the, the thing that sucks is that we have the same problem, do we not? And again, it's it's better. It's definitely better. So like I like it. They they at least try to do something and I think again it's a step in the right direction. But the problem is it's still not exactly what we want. But then again, I I want you to think about it, right? Is there any way that the NFL can make overtime rules that aren't in some way unfair without making it completely step away from the game of football? Without making it become, I don't know, a kick or shootout, which was my idea originally. I, I said that like the weekend after the, or sorry, the week after the Bills, you know, got knocked out because of the coin flip, I said like a kicker shootout would be a great way to do it. Although again, that steps way too far away from the game of football. That's the problem. Like there's no correct way to do it. There, There is not an option that's just, okay, that's how you balance it. That's how it's fair. There isn't. And that's what sucks. There isn't a necessarily correct answer that doesn't just completely step away from the game of football. No matter what, at its core, it's going to be unfair. But at least it's a step in the right direction, right? At least. Because, hey, at least both teams kind of get an advantage in some way, right? They're different advantages, which is why I would still say it's unfair, because the game is being directly affected by a coin flip, in a way, but still. Both teams technically get an advantage, right? If you're the team that gets the ball, if you're the first team to get the ball, you get the opportunity to 
end the game if the score is tied after the first two possessions of overtime. So, yeah, that, that is an advantage. That's exactly what I was just saying. What advantage does the team that gets the ball second get, though? Well, after the first possession, the team who gets the ball after knows how many points they have to match or surpass in order to win the game. So if I see that you score a touchdown, get the extra point, and then I march down the field, score a touchdown, and I don't really have faith in my defense to stop you, right? You know, if I'm the Bills and I'm I'm just going to recreate that entire thing that happened that started this. If I'm the Bills, I know my defense isn't going to stop Patrick Mahomes because we're tired. You know, we haven't really had luck stopping them in the entire fourth quarter. So I'm going to try and end it with my offense. I'm going to go for two. Then you get it, you win. Because you scored eight points, they scored seven. And that's the end of the two possessions. But, you know, maybe the Bills are very confident in their defense. Then they could just kick the extra point and match it. That's the advantage. They know what they need to do. And then the other reason that that's somewhat of an advantage is if you're the team that gets the ball first and it's like fourth down and you're inside the 40, the other team's 40, maybe you kick the field goal, right? But the other team, if they see that you score a touchdown on your first drive of overtime, and then on our first drive, we're inside the 40 and it's fourth down, we have to go for it. Because kicking an extra point, we we just kicked the extra point and we still lost. What's the point of that? So that's the advantage. You understand how much you need to score. So there is advantages to both sides, if you really think about it. But the problem is, again, teams are getting advantages from something out of the controls of the players, the coaches. That That's not what people want in a sport. Now, again, there isn't a correct way to handle it, and that's what really sucks. But I'm happy they at least made a decision. At least they changed it because this is definitely better. Again, the fact that both teams somewhat get A advantage, you know, that that's a step forward from just whoever wins the coin toss has just a huge advantage and the other team is kind of left out to dry. Even though, yeah, you can make a stop. The Bengals did in the AFC Championship. But again, they, they have an opportunity that the other team doesn't. Or the other team may not. That was the problem with the old rules. Some people like the old rules. The, especially like Mike Tomlin. And uh, I saw on the Pat McAfee show, show Darius Butler. Supported the rules. And a lot of just plain defensive-minded people supported the older rules way more. And they liked it more. And I got the argument. Oh, you know, if you... The Bills sort of made a stop. They had an opportunity to make a stop, and they didn't. That's their fault. They didn't deserve to win the game. You had to earn the right to get the ball by actually playing defense. But my problem with it remains... The Chiefs are getting an opportunity that the Bills aren't because of a coin flip. Whether or not the defense should be getting a stop is besides the point. 
Because it doesn't make sense that the Bills defense has to get a stop. But the Chiefs defense doesn't. You know? Because for all we know, if the Bills get the ball first, the Chiefs defense isn't stopping them. Right? I, I mean, I really don't... I understand the argument. But think about it for more than three seconds. And it's just a flawed argument. Is it not? I don't get it, personally. I really, like, think about it for a little bit, please. It makes no sense, really. Just You rationalize it a little bit, and it's like, what What are you trying to say? Oh, yeah, the, they should have got a stop. But why should the Bills need to get a stop and the Chiefs don't? That doesn't make any sense. Be because they chose heads instead of tails? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Now, the other part of the rule that I, I feel like not a, not enough people are talking about, and I agree with it, is that the rule, the overtime rules are the same in the regular season that they always have been. They only change for the playoffs. And I, I like this. I, I really do. I think that that's right. I think that that's correct. Because if they change it for the regular season, analytics show, stats show, over the past couple of years, over a very long time, when a team goes into overtime and then has to play against another team less than a week later, they lose more often. It's, it's a fact. So having overtime be extended longer than usual is only going to affect them more. Players get tired, man. And that's part of it. That's a huge part of the sport. So having a team that had to, you know, fight an extra 10 minutes, 5 minutes, play against another team that just destroyed a team in 60 minutes the week before, you know, the one has more rest than the other. So it's an unfair advantage. And yeah, there's no way to completely eliminate it, but they're trying to limit it by making overtime stay the same amount of time. But for the playoffs, it changes because you're guaranteed to get a week off. You're guaranteed to get a full week until your next game. Meanwhile, in the normal regular season, you know, sometimes you only have five days. You're not guaranteed to get a full week. So I understand it completely. Now let's stop talking about rules. Let's talk about a storyline that I, I noticed I haven't, I'm yet to talk about on the podcast. And a lot of people have talked about it because it's, it's a somewhat big storyline. Any storyline that involves a quarterback, especially a quarterback that made it to a Super Bowl, is big. This entire situation with Jimmy Garoppolo, very strange. Very strange. Now, before I ta start talking about the situation, I feel like I need to remind people that maybe haven't listened to me talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. I need to make it clear to them just my stance on him. 
I I haven't I haven't slammed Jimmy Garoppolo in a long time. If you really think about it, the last time I slandered him was around the NFC Championship, which was a couple months or a couple weeks ago. Like that's I want to say like six episodes ago. And I feel a need to do that. For those of you that forgot, my stance on Jimmy Garoppolo is that he's a he's not a starting caliber quarterback. I'll tell you that much. I can name thirty two quarterbacks better than him. I could probably say 40 better than him like I would say he's a backup and I wouldn't even say he's like the highest tier of backup like as crazy as that sounds I I think I would take Minshew over him I I do I really do I think I would take Tyrod Taylor over him I would take I would Probably take Mariota over him. That's close. Listen, Garoppolo, when he's playing at his best, when he's playing his best football in a scheme that is built to handhold him and severely limit his mistakes, he's serviceable. When he's at his absolute best. In a scheme that minimizes your ability to make mistakes at quarterback. He's serviceable at best. I really think. You know you know the stuff. Everyone slanders Carson Wentz for when he makes a stupid ass play. But then he also somewhat evens it out with like an amazing play. A little bit after. Like kind of like Ryan Fitzpatrick too. So, like, you you take the bad part of that and then add, like, the playmaking ability of, like, Teddy Bridgewater. So, like, at his worst, you got, like, Paxton Lynch. And at your best, you got Teddy Bridgewater? He's bad. He is He is bad, man. Like, you have to be a special type of bad player to screw up constantly on a 49ers team that has everything around you. Everything you could possibly need on a scheme that is, in terms of NFL, very easy. Very easy on the quarterback. He screws it up constantly. Like, there's no other quarterback where every time he touches the ball, I have no idea what's going to happen. But I know it won't be good. Until the ball is in George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk's hands, I think there's at least a 30% chance that it's going to end up on the defense's hands. Like, I really do. He's terrible. He's horrible. He's been single-handedly anchoring that 49ers team back for years now. Years. So I already think he's a backup caliber quarterback. Add a horrible contract in which he's getting paid around $20 per year. And then he's coming off shoulder surgery on top of all that. 
And the 49ers basically have to trade him. Basically. Because they drafted a quarterback. So, what what are they going to get in return, right? And who's even going to want to trade for him? First off, I doubt. I know one thing for sure. Anyone who trades for him probably won't start him. Because I think the rest of the league, along with Kyle Shanahan, who has him right now, is aware that Garoppolo is not a starting caliber quarterback. So I really think like a fourth, fifth round pick. I mean, if you're really lucky, a fourth round pick. I think no way third round. If if Matt Ryan is worth a third round pick, there is no way Jimmy Garoppolo is worth a third round pick. I think if you're lucky, a late fourth. If you're lucky. Because keep in mind, $20 million per year. Coming off a of shoulder surgery. And is already not that good of a player to begin with. They're, they're not getting a lot in return. And then no team is really desperate for a quarterback right now. Right? I, I mean, there's very few. And then the draft is still yet to happen. There's quarterbacks in this draft class that are worth drafting. Is it the best quarterback draft class? No. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'd rather have a lot of those guys than have Jimmy Garoppolo and pay him $20 million per year while he's coming off a shoulder injury. And he's not even the best quarterback available for trade. Let's not forget about Baker Mayfield. Like, if I'm a team in my... I, I don't know. I, I bet right now they're banking on a starting quarterback getting hurt, like, over training camp. But if that happens, I'm not calling up the 49ers and trying to trade for Garoppolo. Well, he's getting paid $20 million per year. No, I'm calling up Cleveland, seeing what, what I have to give up to get Baker. Who's still on his rookie deal. I feel like you have to be really stupid to pursue Garoppolo right now as anything more than, like, a backup. And what do you want to give up for a backup? Probably a fifth or fourth round pick. So that's the price for him, I think. And Oh, maybe a midseason injury, and now the team will get really, really ready, really willing to trade a lot of assets for a Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I I don't think that that would happen. I think, no, maybe, maybe. But if I'm a team and I, I don't know, let's say I'm the Buccaneers, Brady gets hurt. I'm not going to trade for Garoppolo. I'm probably going to trade for like Gardner Minshew. Or uh, Tyler Huntley. Let's not forget about him. Maybe call up Green Bay. See what it takes to get Jordan Love. I wouldn't trade for Garoppolo. Pay him $20 million per year? Are you kidding me? No. If anything, I, I might just throw the season in the garbage of Kyle Trask out there. Don't be surprised if Garoppolo is a free agent. Don't be surprised if they cut him because they can't get any trade for him. Don't be surprised by it.
the 49ers aren't going to start Garoppolo because they've made it clear it's time for Lance. And Jimmy G proved he can't win a Super Bowl even with all the pieces around him. That window for the 49ers is closing. We don't know how much longer it is until Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel, asks for a mega deal. We don't know. That window's closing. You can't waste another year with Garoppolo. You made it to the NFC Championship with a liability under center. You got a quarterback with all the physical traits in Trey Lance. Of course, he needs a little bit of fine-tuning, but he had a year on the bench to potentially do that. If you need a little bit more time in the oven, you know, you need to keep getting him ready a little bit. I would probably trade for a new quarterback then. I wouldn't I would not go with Garoppolo for another year. I really wouldn't. Uh, I don't even know who like the market is for Garoppolo. Not any teams that are like desperate because all the teams that are desperate are probably going to draft one. The market is I'm a really good team and I need a backup in case my starter gets hurt. And again, Gardner Minshew, Tyler Huntley, there's other guys available. But if you really feel like Garoppolo could be the guy, you're probably going to give up a fifth or a fourth. You're not getting much. For Garoppolo, it just isn't happening. Anyway, that's it for this part. When I come back after my break, I'm going to talk about the huge news about Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers that dropped like an hour or two ago. And then after that, I'm going to go over my top five quarterback prospects of the draft. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I'll be back after the short break. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. And I said in the last part that I would talk about the huge news that happened just a couple hours before I started recording this. And it was also super unexpected. Came out of nowhere. But the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. Bruce Arians retired from coaching. And the new head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who just a season ago won the Super Bowl. The new head coach is Todd Bowles, former Jets coach, who, let's just say, did not have a very good career as a head coach for the Jets. But, you know, it's been a long time since that happened. Maybe he could lead the Buccaneers all the way back to the promised land. You never know. With Brady there, anything's possible. Uh, I'm going to say what most people are thinking. And there is some people, you know, saying, oh, Brady didn't know until after he came back. Brady, in some way, I think affected this. I think he was a huge reason for it. Maybe they knew that that would lure Brady back into coming. I think maybe there was someone in the organization that told him, hey, Arians is going to be gone. You could come right back. Because uh, apparently, 
according to some reports, he found out after he came back from retirement. It was very soon after. It was like the day after or the day of. It was something like that. Which makes it harder to believe that Brady played a role in it. But I really do think someone, I don't know who, was still talking with Brady. And was like, hey, what would it take for you to come back? And we'll never know because it it might just be one person. But I think someone was like, Brady, what would it take for you to come back? We know we're not the same team without you. What would it take? And he would be like, I really want that Bruce Arians guy out of here. And then whoever it was that was talking to Brady was just like, all right, I'm telling the owner. I'm telling Malcolm Glazer that all it takes is for you to get that, you know, mediocre coach, and I really think he's just mediocre, Bruce Arians out of there, and you have the best football player of all time back on the team. And Glazer was just like, all right, I'll do it. Arians was gone. Brady came back. Now, again, we might never have that proved. And for all I know, I could be very wrong. But I still think there's no way in hell that it's a coincidence that Brady comes back and then Bruce is gone. Because Brady and Bruce did not like each other. That became very clear. Rich Ornberger made it very clear that the two of them didn't like each other. You could look at the tweets that he made. The two of them were not the biggest fans of each other. But if what I said was true, why did it take so long for the Buccaneers to officially make that change? I I think that there's three reasons. You ready? Reason one, they don't they didn't want to completely remove Bruce Arians from the team, so they were negotiating terms for his new role with the team as senior football consultant. And they also had to negotiate Bulls' five-year head coach contract, which became official today. So that tells you that they were negotiating it a long time before. Now, number two. They wanted to appear as a desirable destination for free agents, so they kept Bruce Arians there. Because, you know, people look at Todd Bowles and they're like, that that coach that had a losing record with the Jets? I don't want to play for him. But Bruce Arians, you know, Super Bowl champion, has been a head coach for a long time. That's a guy. That's a guy that I want to play for. Not Todd Bowles. But now, you know, free agency, obviously it's not over, but there's less big-name free agents. Maybe a guy like Carlton Davis wouldn't have came back if it weren't for Bruce Arians. Maybe not, too. We don't know. And reason number three, they didn't want it to be obvious that it was a result of what Tom Brady wanted. 
So they waited very long. Because if it happened like a day after Brady came back, it's very suspicious, is it not? I definitely think it is. But what, why do they pick Todd Bowles instead of Byron Leftwich? That was, my, that was my first question. And I think it further reinforces the Brady point that I'm going to continue to stick with because I think it makes too much sense. It makes way too much sense. Brady still wants to win. That's obvious. I mean, he's in his mid-40s. He obviously still wants to win. He came out of retirement to win another Super Bowl. And Bulls has coaching experience, more than Leftwich. Even though he wasn't too great when he was a head coach, he still has experience. And, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He never had a team even close to this good before. And again, it's been like a decade since he last had a head coaching job. So maybe he changed. Maybe he developed. You're looking at Josh McDaniels getting another chance. Why can't Todd Bowles? And again, this further enforces the Brady point. How? Because now Brady can get complete control over the offense. It's no longer, oh, I have to fight with Leftwich and I have to fight with Bruce Arians. No, the head coach is a defensive-minded guy. He's not going to screw up the plays Brady wants to call. And Leftwich, you know, maybe he will a little bit, but it seems like Leftwich and him, Leftwich and Brady, have a good enough, like, they meet in the middle a lot. Like, a lot of what Brady likes, Leftwich also likes. So it's really going to be Brady's offense with Leftwich as a voice of reason. You know, maybe Leftwich will call the plays, but if Brady says, nah, I don't like that play, change it. We need to do something else here. Leftwich is doing it. Bruce Arians, he's stubborn. He won't do that. And that's part of the reason they didn't get along. Because Brady's a control freak just as much as Bruce Arians is. But, you know, we're coming into a draft class after just talking about the oldest quarterback to ever play. We'll talk about some of the younger guys who maybe will have a career that results in them potentially playing into their mid-40s. Is it likely? No. Especially because this is a weak quarterback class, but maybe one of these guys. You don't know. So, who are my top five quarterbacks in this draft class? Now, let me start by saying I looked at seven quarterbacks so far. And the two that didn't make it are Carson Strong out of Nevada, And the other quarterback, I don't think many people are going to agree with me leaving him out. But Sam Howell out of UNC, I do not have him making it. I do think he's better than Carson Strong. But Sam Howell just barely doesn't make it. So the big question there is, Sam Howell is part of like the five that everyone has. So who do I have replacing Sam Howell? Well... That person I have replacing him isn't even my number five. My number five is Desmond Ritter. So that means that there's someone that I'm ranking way higher than most other people do. But first, let's talk about Desmond Ritter. Now, Cincinnati, no one expected them to be quite this good. And a big reason that they were this good was Desmond Ritter, who performed very well this year. Now, of course, he had his flaws. But his mobility was 
very, very impactful for Cincinnati. He had a strong arm, and his improvising ability was a very big thing there. Of course, there was Desmond Ritter necessarily like the star? No. But he executed the offense how he needed to, and he made plays when he needed to. Plays that not many people can make. Like, he has a lot of playmaking ability, especially because of that mobility that I just mentioned. He's a damn good runner, man. And he's willing to take shots downfield, and he has that strong arm. Like, he'll, he'll make plays. Like I said, like, if there's one word to describe Desmond Ritter, it's a playmaker. Like, he isn't someone you put out there and, oh, you know, we'll we'll get a good drive, you know, just chew the clock repeatedly with these five-yard passes. No. He's going to, maybe on one play, he scrambles for a solid, like, 15-yard gain. And then the next play, he makes a deep shot down the field and gets a huge play. Like, that's the type of quarterback this guy is. He's not one for these, like, oh, got to make a big, long drive, but we got to do it through the air. That's not him. That is not Desmond Ritter. And he played in a pro-style offense, and he had a very good understanding of it. It was clear on film. But what are what are his cons? Because there's a reason he has to be number five. What are What's the catch? His accuracy is downright terrible. I mean, he missed some. He missed some wide open throws. It was he was very inaccurate. He has a small frame, and oh, I just mentioned how he's a playmaker. Too much hero ball. You know, there were too many plays where you know he could have took the easy play, or he could have threw the ball out of bounds. No, he tries to like throw the ball in a tight window after, you know, making a couple defenders miss in the pocket and then ends up being a pick or a knockdown. And didn't really move around the pocket too well either. So, like, Ritter, if I have to think about, like, who... If a team drafts him, like, what's the expectation? This is a quarterback who, you know, you can have him on the bench and there'll be a project. And he won't, I think he would be like a, I really think like late second round. He's someone you could draft in the late second round. Maybe even early third, maybe mid third. And you just leave him on the bench behind like an established player. And while that established player is playing for like a year or two, you're seeing like, can Ritter be our guy? And if not, you have a quality backup. And, you know, again, he has this physical ability to be a good quarterback. It's just a lot of fine-tuning you need to do. The accuracy is really bad, like really bad, especially at an NFL level. At a college level, like it was already bad. At an NFL level where you're expected to make a lot of the throws he missed on a constant basis, it's really bad. Like he needs work. But if you could see – if you – think you could fix that or if you see him improving at that aspect you you got like maybe you got something here maybe you got a quarterback for a couple of years in Desmond Ritter maybe now number four this is the guy that I think is not getting enough praise Bailey Zappi 
out of Western Kentucky. Not enough respect is going to this guy. He put up some unbelievable numbers this year. Unbelievable. He's very he's like the exact opposite of Desmond Ritter almost. Almost. Incredibly accurate. He goes through his reads very well. He times his throws well. Good throwing motion. And he mastered his scheme very quickly, too. You know, the the fact he mastered it as quickly as he did tells you, like, he could probably pick up, like, an NFL offense quick, which is always good. And he could improvise well. Now, he can't extend the field, right? So if you have a wide receiver like a Tyreek Hill or someone like that, and you're expecting him to be able to make these deep shots to him, not happening. That's not what this guy does. His arm is average at best. He can't, like, make these very deep throws down the field. Now, he has a decent amount of mobility. But, like, the talent isn't there for him to be, like, a starting quarterback. But I say, you draft this guy, you have a backup with a not a very high ceiling. I wouldn't say, like, starting caliber quarterback potential is there. I don't think he's a starter. But you have a backup here. You got someone that you could put in for three and four games, and he could win a couple. That's what this guy is. I don't think he's a starter, but I I think he has what it. I think the floor is high. You have a backup quarterback here, and he's not going to take much. Like some people have said, this guy's going to be a day three pick. Getting a franchise backup at day three, like that's good value. That's good value. And again, I don't think that the ceiling is too low. Like, you have a good backup in this guy. The, again, the ceiling isn't... I I think that this guy will be like a, a fifth-round pick. Right? The ceiling is like fringe starter. If you give him all the right pieces... You can, he could do well. He could, he could start a year or two if you give him all the right pieces. But otherwise, you got a backup quarterback for when your guy gets hurt, a franchise backup that you won't really have to overpay. And you know, maybe that's not the flashiest thing. Maybe you're like, you really put this guy over Sam Howell? Well, yeah, it's because I, I think people underestimate the value of a backup. Sometimes. Like, yeah, you know, the ceiling of Sam Howell is higher, sir. The ceiling of Desmond Ritter is higher, sir. But Zappy here, if you give him the right pieces, like if you surround him with every single thing, he could be like a starting caliber quarterback. Like, yeah, but you don't have to surround him with everything. Otherwise, you got like a fringe starter or a backup quarterback. Meanwhile, with Desmond Ritter, I think... If you give him everything you need, he could still screw it up. Same thing with Sam Howell. And I think it's close. Like, you could put Sam Howell over Bailey Zappi. But I I don't agree. Because I think the value of a backup quarterback is underestimated. Especially for, like, someone that's going to be taking, like, the fifth round. 
Like, I think there are games where you could put Sam Howell in. And although he has higher potential to elevate the offense, if you just want someone that could execute, and that's normally what teams are looking for in a backup quarterback, if you're just looking for someone that could execute the offense, Zappi does it better than Howell and Ritter. He does. And yeah, you know, that's a low bar for just a backup quarterback. But I think he's a guy that you could surround with a lot of talent. Then you have a starting quarterback. You know, Desmond Ritter, I, I don't think that's true. The inaccuracy is too much of a problem. And Sam Howell, I don't think that's true for him either. But then after Bailey Zappi, I think there's a huge jump. Huge. Kenny Pickett is my number three. There's a huge jump between those two. Huge. Like, I think Howell, Ritter, and Zappi, and maybe... Nah, Carson Strong is not in that conversation. No, he's not. Like, that's a conversation. Those three guys. But then these next three, I think, are a different tier. I don't think you could... I don't think you could put Desmond Ritter ahead of Kenny Pickett. I don't think you could put Sam Howell ahead of Kenny Pickett. And you sure as hell can't put him ahead of the other two I'm about to name. But Kenny Pickett, let's look at this guy. This guy receives a lot of the praise as the most pro-ready guy. And I agree. He's accurate. Great pocket presence. Excellent timing. Superb field vision. And he has mobility. And his height is good. So, you know, those are a lot of things. Like, those are, that's some stuff, like, crucial stuff. And he has it down. Right? Like, he he's a he's a quarterback you could draft and day one put him in. And the the flaws aren't even, like, that bad. It's just, like, small hands. Eh. Only really matters if you're playing in bad weather. Uh, some bad decisions at times. You know, you could fix that. But he doesn't really do anything at an elite level. Doesn't really do anything at a high level. Like, that's the main thing with him. You got so much, like, good, but you have no great. Like, you have a guy you could put in, and he could be an average quarterback. But that's about it. Like, the ceiling isn't there. No, the floor is still, like, he's a starter. He's a starter. You draft him, he's going to start. He could be a franchise quarterback for a a couple years. But he's never going to lead you that far. He's never going to lead you far. You want to win a Super Bowl? Most likely isn't happening with Pickett. Most likely. Like, he's good. He's good. But the upside isn't there. That's what holds him back. Meanwhile, these next two guys I'm about to name, like, they're guys who, you know, maybe you can't start them right away. But if you get them to that ceiling, electric. My number two is Matt Corral from Ole Miss. Extremely good accuracy. Amazing ball placement. His arm is great. Like, he he fires it in there. Laser. Laser. Tight window in between two defenders. On the money. Perfect ball. Right in between them. Lasers. And, you know, I the mobility is there, too. Like, he has the ability. He's a damn good thrower of the football, and then he has mobility on top of that. He's difficult to bring down. And that release is quick. Like, he ha- he has a strong arm, man. 
strong. Like I, I have to keep expressing that. Like he has a strong arm. But the problem is, like the decision making isn't great. Very poor at times. Single read quarterback, which you never really like to see. And the timing is a little bit inconsistent. So although you would like to do those, you know, curl concepts where he could just like squeeze it in in between the defenders, sometimes he waits a little bit too long and just stares that receiver down too long, and that leads to a pick. That's the problem with Matt Corral. Like, yeah, he, he has, again, upside is there. This is the big difference between him and Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, the floor is higher, but the ceiling isn't close. It isn't. Corral, like, has elite quarterback potential. Potential is the key thing, though. But you got to do some fine-tuning. Like, guys like him and the person I have at number one, they will only be good if they get drafted to a team that has the right coaching staff. Otherwise, if both this guy and the guy I have at number one go to a team that doesn't really have the best coaching staff, Pickett's the best quarterback in the draft class. And let me tell you, that would be a damn weak quarterback class, but Corral has talent. Like, undeniably, the talent is there. It's just you need to fine-tune. The decision-making isn't great. He doesn't read the field well. He does not. And the timing is very off. For you to do as much as you want to do. For you to fully take advantage of that strong arm, you got to fix the timing. But then number one, this guy is the ultimate boomer bust. Very, very similar to the type of prospect that Trey Lance was last year. Malik Willis. Listen, right. He has one of the best deep balls I've ever seen from a prospect. Like, you need to watch the deep balls this guy throws. It's immaculate. I'm telling you, like, the second he comes into the league, he's already, like, a top-five deep ball thrower in the NFL. The second he comes in. He's an amazing runner. Amazing. Thick frame. Very good improviser. Unbelievable arm. And a very quick release. Like, you understand, like, this guy has Michael Vick-level talent from the amazing running ability to the electric deep ball in terms of physical traits there's not much to dislike maybe you know he could be taller but other than that that that's it the arm is unbelievable like i'm telling you you have to see it to believe it and he's a phenomenal runner too but there's a, there's a lot of flaws. There's a lot of flaws. Terrible vision. At time, there's just a wide-open guy in the middle of the field. And he'll look at them and just not throw them the ball. He just refuses to throw the ball in the middle of the field. Refuses to. I don't know if that's the scheme. I don't know if he just doesn't think he can. I don't know what it is, but he just won't throw the ball into the middle of the field. And he stares onto that. He stares down the primary read. Terrible footwork. He doesn't anticipate his throws, and he predetermines his passes severely. So a lot of the mental aspects of the sport, he doesn't get. He doesn't. But we've seen quarterbacks fix that, have we not? 
the trend recently in the NFL has been these low-floor, high-ceiling quarterbacks tearing the league up. You got Josh Allen. You got Patrick Mahomes. Remember, remember Patrick Mahomes as a prospect? He was not, he did not get a lot of praise, I'll tell you that much. Justin Herbert was another one. Lamar Jackson. These quarterbacks that have the low floor, high ceiling, they a lot of the times reach that ceiling. And that's because today's NFL, there's so much information at the coach's disposal, at the their disposal. And they're so good at their job now. These quarterbacks that have all the physical traits to be electric, elite, have been reaching that potential. Happens a lot of the time now. Malik Wills gets drafted to the right team that has the right coach that could really teach him what to do and how to do it. This guy can be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He can. I said it once and I'll say it again. Michael Vick level talent right here. Michael Vick level. From the running ability to the arm to the unbelievable deep ball. There is a there's potential for an absolute stud here. I think that's a great note to end it on. You listen to the Goal Line Podcast. If you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok or Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. And don't forget the Twiddle, Twitter, which is at No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. See you next week.